Welcome to the Voice Hacks Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Z. On the Voice Hacks Podcast, I'll be talking to some of rock and metal's best singers, coaches, and experts about what goes into the mysterious and amazing sounds we make with our voices. If you like this podcast, please help spread the word by sharing it with your friends, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram, and tag me and my guests. I'm at Metal Mary Z on Instagram. Don't forget to leave the show a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, follow me on YouTube at Voice Hacks by Mary Z. Let's get into it. Hey, everybody. We are back at the Voice Hacks podcast. I am super stoked today because we have not only a, a legendary vocalist with us, but also a fellow podcast host who's got the podcast game down, vocalist of Cryptopsy and host of the Vox and Hops podcast. It's Matt McGacky. Matt, thanks so much for joining us. Mary, thank you so, so much. I'm really, really stoked to be here tonight. I'm super stoked. And of course, you've had me on the podcast, but is it strange to have the tables turned and be the one, the guest on the podcast? No, I like it. I, I always enjoyed interviews with Cryptopsy Flow does not like interviews. So as often as he could, he would throw me into the situations very early on. Like my first year in the band, I was doing a bunch of interviews, but no, no, I like it. I like doing interviews. I like conducting interviews. It's cool to hang out with someone on the opposite side of the table to uh, yeah. see how they conduct an interview. I think it's interesting. Yeah, exactly. And I think that you are definitely a natural for it because you're a great host. And I think that's well, that you. stands out as well. You know, when you said you enjoy interviews, I'm sitting here going, well, duh, he's a host. He likes, he really likes these things. And your podcast is awesome. It's been really successful. In, in fact, I would say you're starting to become, you know, equally known for that as you are, we're already well known as a vocalist. You know, it's pretty phenomenal. Do you feel like the podcast has opened up a lot of doors for you as far as like new people you've met, different things like that? Absolutely. I've met so many people around the globe because the, the Vox and Hops really started the first hundred episodes with just my friend. It was just my friends coming through town and me going out uh, backstage at a bar, uh, in the tour bus, in the van, conducting interviews, having conversations with my friends. But then as publicists got word of me, uh, the first one was mm -hmm. actually Natalie Camilo from uh, Napalm Records hooked me up with uh, oh, an yeah. interview with Ailstorm. And I was like, that was the beginning of it. And since then, I've been working with a bunch of great publicists, uh, meeting people all over and connecting with people all over the globe. And then when I did my massive beer collab thing back in June, brutal North America, uh, yes. I was creating beers for these people that I've actually never met face to face. So I thought it was really, really interesting. So it's just the beginning. I really feel like now that the pandemic is sort of seems to be slowing down a bit and events can happen. The future of what Vox and Hops can become is now becoming more apparent and the podcast is just like the first layer of the onion so I'm, I'm interested and excited to see what's coming up next oh this is great i think that is so cool what you did with the brutal north america and um that was very creative and it really expanded upon what you do as a podcaster i mean took it in the direction of the brand that you have because it's it's uh, vox and hops beer and vocals you know it just really brought the hops part into it in a really cool way and it gave a lot of those brands exposure too which was really neat and it was a, a, like a unique way for bands to interact with their fans uh, yes, during the pandemic yes. so it's a wait for them to connect with them, to share something, a part of themselves, to give something extra 
to their fans that they couldn't do because they couldn't play. They couldn't get out there. They couldn't hang out. So they weren't, you know, they based, there's a few people that did like beer releases and the bands were there, uh, notably um, Yakuza in Chicago and Dry City Brew Works. They, they had a huge launch for the beer and the band was there and fans were there. So I think that's super cool. I think that's, it's not, you know. That's cool. That's really, yeah. So you get, you gave them something to, you know, everybody got to double down on it. They got something cool to promote. You got something. The brewery got something. I mean, and and this is one of the things I feel is very magical about the metal scene, quite frankly. I was saying this uh, the other day. There's I, I, I managed a band that was like alternative rock that's not metal. I've, I have a lot of, obviously, musician friends outside of the metal scene. And quite frankly, I feel like a lot of them get uh, almost envious of what we have in metal. And rightfully so, though, because look at that. That's something I've only seen in metal what you did this collaboration with folks i mean we have this niche scene and it is successful because people like yourself the fans and the musicians create the homes for it i mean uh, it's self-created you created the podcast you created these opportunities and and it and that's what's magical about the scene that we're in the fans and the musicians create the opportunities for themselves absolutely because we're so used to being the underdogs of, yeah. of fighting to gain our space, whether it be on a craft beer shelf uh, or on a listener's playlist nowadays. Uh, so working together and collaborating is the new, the best new way of working in, in this music industry, in the beer industry, in, in this modern age of social media. Uh, the, the way to get the most attention is by working together and collaborating together. Absolutely. And it's phenomenal. That brings me to something. We didn't even get to the, the questions I had for you, but we're already going on these <laughs> great tangents because this is a great tangent where I felt like, you know, being a little older and having seen some of the changes in the scene over the years, over the couple decades. And I feel like a lot of the older uh, people from the metal scene were at first resistant to the sort of collaborative era that we have here. The fear that they're going to lose their fans for some reason. It makes no yes. sense. <laughs> it makes no yeah. zero sense. If it you're used building to be it different. Up, yeah. If you're building up something, it's only going to make everyone stronger. It's 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 crazy how it used to be. And I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And being with Cryptopsy, there's still that mentality that lingers in the band, even to this day. So I think it's very, very interesting. You know, bands that go out uh, on mammoth packages, but everyone takes a little bit less money uh, so that more cool bands, the package is more solid, is, is the way to do it nowadays versus going out there with your ego and trying to just make the most amount of money and hypothetically not doing as well if you were out there with, especially competing against all these other mammoth packages that are happening. Oh, yeah. And I mean, because it's got to be strategic. I think the musician's constant uh, Achilles heel, if you will, is, uh, and I see this in you know, very successful musicians and also very new musicians like vocal students and things where the Achilles heel is the entitlement based on talent. Hmm. Well, a lot of people are talented, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it, you know, yeah, you have to make good music. Yes, that has to be there. But unfortunately, a lot of folks make good music and then there has to be more than that. There, there is more strategy to it than that. And uh, you can't uh, on any lay on, on any level when people start doing 
doing that, that's your first, I think, shovel in the hole, you know, <laughs> you start digging it. But yeah, I wanted to ask you some questions. Before, I, I'd like to talk about beer, of course, because yeah, I'm definitely going to drink a beer during this. So. Oh, yeah, I was going to say <laughs> now, are, now, because so what are you drinking today? There's this really cool little microbrewery that opened right near my house and uh, I love them. I go frequently with my family. We sit on the, the patio section, mm -hmm. enjoy some of the beers. We were there last night. This is, uh, it's Melon is the name of the brewery. Oh. Melon. And it's from the Lord of the Rings where in Elvish, it means uh, welcome friend, I believe. I could. Oh, cool. Because they're huge Lord of the Rings fans. It's good. I had it yesterday. I'm going to enjoy it again tonight. Where did your love for craft beers begin? This is something I was definitely going to ask anyway. We might as well go right into it. I always, always enjoyed having a beer. It's something that I just liked. I started drinking. My family never drank. That's something that my, my parents never drank. My dad, I've never, I think I've only shared one or two beers with my dad ever. And that was wow. much, much, much later. He just wasn't into it. My mother never drank. I've seen her drunk maybe twice in my life. And it's when she's like partying with friends and a bit too, it's just always the excess in those situations. She grew up in a, a tough house with some alcoholism in the family. So she never delved into it at all. So I really got into it like in high school, I would, I'm probably a bit too young, but it was fun. I'm from Two Mountains, uh, which is just outside of Montreal. And it, there was a very big, there still is a little bit now, uh, English population. So I am an Anglophone Quebecer from Montreal. And uh, we had a party and it was lots of fun. I drank Lucky Lager, which is a beer that doesn't exist anymore. Oh, okay. It's because it was really bad. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's what you drink in high school, though. Exactly. It's really it was bad cheap beer. and it was warm and it was disgusting, but the party was fun. Craft beer really just came from an evolution of that of I moved to Montreal lived with my wife there was this 12 pack of beer two of the beers or three of the beers in the pack were this apricot ale from St. Albois is wow. a mixed pack from St. Albois and Griffon which is a very big micro it's still a microbrewery but it's a very big one here in Montreal called McCausland. So I would buy this pack thinking that my wife, she was my girlfriend at the time, would, wouldn't get mad at me for buying a 12-pack of beer every night. Because <laughs> I bought her the one, you know, it's the one you like with the with the apricot beers in it. That's so cute. That was my mentality. So from there, that was like an evolution. There was one beer in that that was a pale ale, and it was like probably the first uh, exposure to hops that I really, really had. And I liked it. It had like a weird little soapiness to it. It was very interesting. And then from there, it was just an evolution. I played a bunch of gigs downtown. They serve, we get the drink tickets, our little coupons. When we play a show, there's our pay. You know, we get to drink three beers. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and oh, there, yeah. And there they would serve Boreal, which is another very big micro here. And then also very always just like pronounced flavors versus just the standard Coors or Molson Labatt products that I was enjoying before that. Uh, Yuri Raymond who was in Cryptopsy for a little bit from Unhuman, fantastic vocalist, excellent human, mm -hmm. so so funny. Crazy, crazy individual. I love him to death. He really pushed me into the craft beer world. Uh, I went to his house once recording scratch vocals for a Cryptopsy album that would become The Best of Us Bleed. And there was like three tracks on that that were new uh, after The Unspoken King. And he was like showing me craft beer and he was doing beer blends before anyone had done these. Oh, cool. And that was it. And then I just, it, I just never stopped. I just wanted to taste everything, everything, everything. And uh, a year sabbatical with my daughter, which is when I started doing Vox and Hops. Mm -hmm. And I was just a beer hunter. I would go out with walks with her in the stroller and go from store to store trying to find specific beers not knowing that there's a website that I can go and see and not have to nice, actually do nice, the walk. Yeah. 
but I did, I did, and I got you know lots of exercise while hunting for craft beer. So it's been a massive passion of mine. Um, there's still more to explore. I am by no means an expert. I just enjoy drinking beer. I try to describe it to the best of my abilities, but I am not, you know, Cicerone certified. I'm, I'm not a beer expert in any way. I mm. just like bringing people together and enjoying craft beer with them and talking about metal. See, but that's great. That's wonderful, though. And it's really neat. I'm glad that you threw in a little bit about uh, where you're from and everything, because, yes, you are one of the few Quebecois, if you will, folks that I've met who um, sounds like a native English speaker, which is typically not the case. And so that was interesting that you mentioned that because um, as a vocalist, you know, I teach people in like 40 countries and I'm always dealing with different accents and uh, languages. And um, I'm kind of fascinated by that. I nerd out on like my, my YouTube channels I watch that are not music are like language channels. I like there's a lot of really good like language YouTubers. Pretty fascinating. So anyway, that's cool. So but you must know French, obviously, if you live in Montreal, right? I did. I went to French elementary school. So when I work okay, in French yeah. every day, I speak French all day. At work. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. I host events now with uh, Mondial de la Bière, which is a huge world beer fest. Uh, there's three locations here in Montreal, in Brazil, and in Paris, and I host events with them in French. So I'm very comfortable speaking French. I'm not perfect, and I write French horribly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I yes. speak and understand. I understand perfectly. My children are perfectly bilingual. My wife is francophone, so so she speaks to them in French. I speak to them in English, and my kids are perfectly bilingual already. So that is wonderful. What, what useful skills. I mean, really, it's very useful. So that's phenomenal. Do you only sing or well, well rather not sing, <laughs> do vocals in English or because many people will only do it in English because of the world, you know, the international thing. Or have you done vocals in uh, French before? I have that during like my singing lessons when I was learning how to sing before I was in cryptopsy, uh, my singing teacher, um, I made loved the sound of like an English speaking person singing in French. Mm-hmm. She really enjoyed mm. it, so she would give me as many songs as possible for the Wait, little. Wait, she liked that? Like, she loved so it, it would be. Wow. Okay. There was just something. She thought that there was something there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And before we started recording, I was mentioning that her goal for me was to get me to Cirque Soleil so I could perform there. And I, I really should have listened to her instead of just being like, I'm going to be a metal singer. And that's it. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, oh, man, I don't know. Cirque du Soleil, <laughs> after uh, interviewing, uh, I interviewed this vocalist, Cassie Stone, and she is also from Montreal. And uh, yes, yeah, she lives here uh, now because she was a Cirque du Soleil performer. So we, there are many folks like that here because of Las Vegas and, um, you know, all of that. So but it, the, talking about her experience, I mean, oh, it would make any metal even a very experienced touring metal vocalist, uh, it would really put you to your paces. Oh, it was yeah. grueling, it sounds Rigorous. like. Absolutely grueling, yeah. Rigorous performances. She said, and, and, and I imagine this is the case for you, is that it is really, you're constantly exposed to it living there, and it's a big deal where you're from. Worship, up until recently when it was sold, the Quebecers are always very, very proud of stuff that comes from here that belongs to us. But as soon as it gets sold, it gets it loses a bit of the the luster. I heard 
heard that maybe, and this could just be a rumor, but I thought maybe after the bankruptcy over the pandemic, I thought the original guy, uh, Gila Liberté, bought it back. That would be super sick. But I, I live yeah. close to where they they do all their costume work oh, and okay. stuff. There's a really cool park uh, behind it that I go with my kids frequently. Uh, it's actually located next to it. Used to be like a giant dump, but they like mm-hmm. filled in the dump and they've converted it into this like big green space. Oh, neat! And it's really, really, really cool and. Uh, Every time you walk by, it's like, it's still there. It's like you see it, you know, and it's, they got all the costumes up. It's still very, it's big, you know, so it's, it's impressive. So I've, I've gone cool. to see it a bunch of times. I like going to the circus. It's, I don't know if it's a culture thing here in Montreal. The circus is, there's a bunch of companies outside of Cirque uh, Soleil as well. Of course, I can't remember their names right now. But <laughs> no, that's fascinating because we, we know a lot of folks like that here in Las Vegas. I mean, because, um, you know, again, they're just here and we we have friends of all bizarre type of musician because of that, you know, really interesting instruments you've never heard of. And, you know, and uh, also other performers that you meet that are just not in the metal scene or musicians at all. Like we have a lot of weird acrobat friends. Awesome. <laughs> They're not weird. Um, <laughs> just the fact, but it's what, unusual what they, to have they, acrobat friends. What they can friends. do with their body is, is uh, Oh, it's incredible. Right. So, and it's the same, uh, it's, it's because of the, the town and everything like that. So, um, and then they also look at us like we're a bit crazy when, when I'm screaming, <laughs> when I'm screaming at the karaoke night and, Amazing. and they're just like, what the heck is going on here? So let's get back to, you know, this is a vocal podcast and you were talking about your you had singing lessons actual formal singing lessons and the reason i was very surprised that uh your teacher liked the sound of an if you will an anglophone singing in french is because when i took classical singing lessons i mean that was exactly what they were trying to avoid (laughs) maybe she maybe she just thought i was cute so i don't know it was uh (laughs) but some people do enjoy um you know americans always find accents very attractive you know depending on where they're from or whatever plus i was a boy you know so there was a lot of girls in the scene so i basically did duets oh okay yeah yep and plus they always need male male traditional singers i think she was just happy to have a man there finally so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. It's usually female dominated. So I wanted to see. Uh, so you've always loved vocalizing. So you took obviously like traditional formal singing lessons. When did you start doing harsh vocals? Did that give you some tools to use when you started exploring that? It definitely gave me the framework of the breathing techniques and to the feeling of putting things in the proper position meant um, using the imagination of where to send your breath all of that really the support really is really what i learned there i was just pure emotion before i went there there was a note i was going to hit it no matter how i was going to hit it i was going to make whatever sound i had to do to hit it and she put a stop to that very quickly and i got into (laughs) singing lessons really because it was a gift from my aunt because she wanted me to protect my voice because she always enjoyed my clean singing voice because i am primarily a clean singer I, I fell into death metal i shouldn't really be a death metal vocalist and when i joined cryptopsy i still wasn't but from clean vocal i was in a band in high school doing new metal clean singing with little screams here and there but nothing too intense but it was pure emotion no idea what the hell i was doing my lessons really helped me just get the support of breathing and placement uh, from there it was just experimentation and, and trying to mimic other people. A big thing that really opened up a lot my eyes was, uh, I think it's Ashes of the Wake. Mm. 
-hmm. And just the way that Randy was, it sounded like he wasn't working very hard, but it sounded really cool. <laughs> and, yes. I and I think that triggered something that I needed to work less to get more. And that really happened in the jam room, but I had to like really hear myself really well. And it was before in-ears and it was just basically me with the PA right behind my head, just <laughs> blasting myself. It and works though. It does. <laughs> <laughs> my ears. <have> been <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, and then Melissa Cross, uh, Zena Screaming, that was a huge tool. That DVD I got for Christmas one year. And I still do the warm ups to this day. Yes. Before I go out on stage. Always. That always, always. I'm known around the globe as that guy that does the hee hee, hey, hey. If I see Terrence from Suffocation, that's the first thing he says to me. <laughs> Before he comes over and gives me a hug, you know, and I've been yelled at because I do them outside. I've done them backstage. I've done them everywhere, right? The, the, the warm-ups and I get yelled. I've been yelled at by old ladies out their window because I'm too loud. And, you know, you learn you learn how to do it quietly but somewhere. <laughs> or basically you're, when you're on tour with a band, you know the set so well so you know when you can go get it done. And then you sort of like know when to stop for a second because you know he's talking to the crowd at that moment. And then you can start again. <laughs> but I don't care anymore. But uh, yeah, no. Uh, harsh vocals was a happenstance. I just kept listening to more and more extreme music, uh, trying the band I was in, Three Mile Scream, initially was supposed to be a Taproot, Seven Dust inspired band. Ended up becoming a, you know, an inspired heavily by the new wave of American metal. Uh, yes. Bands like uh, Killswitch. We were really into Killswitch and in, in Flames. Uh, that Swedish scene as well was very inspirational. And those Come Huge. Clarity Come Clarity record was a big thing. Uh, soil Work was a big thing. You know, just trying the best to find that balance between extreme vocals and keeping my clean vocals in, in check to go through a song was a struggle. But I figured it out pretty well until the band broke up. And that's when I joined Cryptopsy. And I, I just, it was, I fell into Cryptopsy because Donaldson, my guitarist, records us, recorded Three Mile Scream. And he likes to show off his mixes to this day. If I go to his house, he's going to showcase whatever he just finished. So he was doing that and Flo wanted to go in a different direction. And that's how I got the job to be in Cryptopsy. He wanted someone that can do both, clean vocals, extreme vocals. And I had to learn how to become an extreme guttural death metal vocalist because I wasn't one. That is so fascinating because I think, see, this is what I'm always telling the people that I coach is sometimes you need to just go be in the band, you know, before you can do the thing. Because obviously they knew you had a lot of technical skill. And, and I already, and, you know, I knew we didn't actually talk about it because it was, I was the guest on your podcast, but I knew that you had a lot of technical vocal knowledge or some kind of lessons or training or something just because your interest in the way that you interview folks on your podcast. I mean, mm -hmm. um, that is super clear, you know? And so obviously they saw that as well, your technical abilities and the potential you had there. And uh, there was things you learned along the way. And and now you're very good at the gutturals and things. So I feel like I'm at my best, honestly. I, there's, I was, and it's even all always evolving, really. I was stepping back into the vocal booth while recording Tome 2 a few years back now. And I just did some sort of like, really, it was a big, just open scream, guttural, mm -hmm. full of air. Chris is like, what was that? And I was like, I don't know, I just did it. And he's like, let's do some stuff with that voice. And then oh, that sick. voice, that voice has become my voice now on stage whenever I do Lord Worm tracks. We call it my Chris Bark. Because it sort of sounds like Chris Barnes and like a bark, and over the years it, just, it, keeps, <laughs> it keeps getting deeper and deeper, and it's super easy to do. Actually, it's it's like really it becomes natural to me to to 
do that scream. It's not a fry scream. It's the, you know, the open big release one, mm-hmm. which is called a it's totally eluding me right now. Well, vocal terminology, as you know, as you very <laughs> well know, is not standardized. But what I try to refer to it as and and basically, I think this is sort of uh, I think what Melissa Cross was getting at. It is the false chord scream that's what exactly thank Mm -hmm. you yes yeah we call it that because the vocal folds sit open but it gets the vestibular aka the false chords going more than any of the other phonations that i can teach as far as i can tell (laughs) although when i interviewed um sebastian crotto from uh did you uh yeah i I had him on the podcast and it was utterly fascinating oh he's amazing and 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 he blew my mind with some things about some of the tissues that were moving around that I wasn't even aware of. So <laughs> he's, he's, he's brilliant. I went to go interview him. I went to his house oh. uh, a long time ago because he's episode mm-hmm. on Vox and Hops I had. I think it's episode 13 or something. Oh, cool. I, I went to his house and we just hung out the whole night. We didn't do anything. We didn't do anything. We had to meet up again because we spent the whole night just drinking and him talking about vocals. It was amazing. <laughs> no, he his episode is the first episode because it's oh, so cool. effing fascinating. <laughs> I, I, I love him. He's so much fun to work with. And yeah. Yeah. And, you know, really knows the stuff and anatomical. And you can really learn about some of the things you're doing when you're creating those phonations. But I would imagine that. So were you kind of guided by because it was the same thing for me when I started Harsh Vocals. I also did the false corn. I've only done the fry. Because I started doing it by accident, and yeah. all then all my students want to learn it. So uh, in the last seven <laughs> or eight years, I <laughs> I do that more now. But all my earlier records and everything it was false chord. It was also just discovered without you know, kind of by accident. Definitely influenced by the Melissa Cross DVDs. Um, and also though, I wanted to ask you though, and what I deduced was kind of just having other vocal training gave me the realization, okay, well, this isn't making me hoarse. You mm-hmm. know, I didn't understand what was going on in there, but I was, you, you can make an educated guess like that, that. This probably isn't bad for you. Was that, were you able to kind of guide yourself with your previous training like that? I was really lucky. I, I, I think my training just put me into protection mode already. I've, I've done tour after tour shows after shows and I've never lost an ability of a voice. Maybe some voices will get a little bit not as intense. Maybe like my highs will go. If I'm on a really long tour, I'll have like less highs than if I at the beginning of the tour, let's say. Mm-hmm. But it's it's really just vocal health, right? And I, the more that I've learned is really you can't shout <laughs> off stage. You know, <laughs> selling merch and being a vocalist is not a good combination. That that's no <laughs> leaning over that table and. Shouting at someone while a band is playing is is worse than anything that we do on stage. So, <laughs> you have just said what I what I say to everybody. I just made a video not too long ago about the false chord, and I was like, "Look, the things that make you hoarse are like the second day of Nam, you know? <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> it's the same thing. It's the equivalent of talking loud over the merch booth. I tell all my vocal clients that tour or are on the festival level, do not do that. Do not go out, or if you're talking to folks at the merch booth, you." You know, and shaking hands that you're very mindful about the volume at which you're speaking.
thinking because right when when another band is playing, you're just going, "Hey, buddy," da, 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 you know. So that's something I don't miss. I don't miss that that warm breath in my ear at the merch table from a stranger. Oh, God, no, it's <laughs> and that's really murder on your ears as well too. You get this yeah. decibel. It's like that. I feel at Nam too. I feel like Nam, and then every every person on the second day of and Nam is running up to me going, "Mary, Mary, is there a way I can get my voice?" Back? And uh, I'm like, "No, there isn't." <laughs> Actually, there is no magic trick. You got to rest. Horse. You got to yeah. rest. <laughs> Not in the four days that will be now, you know. <laughs> so unfortunately, and so you obviously have things that you do when you're on tour. There is a little bit of method. You mentioned you warm up. I warm up before the show. And mm-hmm. I don't think I used to stress about my voice. This is an issue I used to have. I would like clear my throat or really or like like a, like a nervous tick of of like sucking phlegm or something, you know, sort of, mm-hmm. sort of thing there and swallowing. And then and just to see, am, am I in shape? Is it going to be good? Then uh, the stress, stress, stress. So I, I only think about my voice, uh, when I warm up, which is typically, uh, right before during the band that's playing before me. Yes. That's what I do. And then I know that I'm good. I'll do my warm ups and then I'll scream a few tracks and then I know I'm good. And I go up on the stage on, I try to sleep as much as possible. Drink. <laughs> Some some craft beers, but mostly water. You drink some beer. You're not living like a restricted lifestyle. I know. I by the whole afternoon, I'm at walking around and going to different breweries, but mm-hmm, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. or doing interviews. That was the past few tours before the podcast. I was conducting a bunch of interviews with people that were from that city, people that were on the touring party. We would go to find like a microbrewery and go and do an interview there. Uh, but no, I try to eat really healthy. I'm vegan. So that takes away the whole issues that people have with dairy uh, and vocals on my side of things. I try to not eat tomato saucy things that that would bother me back in the day. But I'm pretty zen. I try to approach vocals as, as a really zen experience. As much as it's super intense, I want to have that calm and just uh, the past few tours, I was really just had this mantra and I don't know if we'll still be there when I play again because mantras come and go and change. It was just, it's all about air. And that would help me for some reason. Oh, okay. I would be on stage and that was what would go through my mind as I'm windmilling and <laughs> belting great. out as long, you know, deep and long scream. It's all, uh, it's just air. And it's true. And it's, uh, that was just, you know, p- focus me make sure I had the, the support that I needed for my diaphragm and send the air where it needs to go and at the right velocity too. And I think another thing with age too, and I toured with Cannibal Corpse and I saw George was just so damn intense, but he doesn't run around like Bruce Dickinson. So I adopted a bit of that, which, you know, could just be age and be getting lazier. more. <laughs> I watch a lot of what folks are doing on stage, not only just for myself, but I'm teaching people every mm-hmm. day. So like they'll be like, but so-and-so does. And like, I don't know every how day Bruce does like, it. But so-and-so does. Yeah. Bruce is a phenom because even some of the guys like Randy who get some get off some jumps oh, yeah, that yeah. I'm, I still look at Randy and I'm like, well, how do you jump like that? Yeah. <laughs> but and, and 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 his age and everything too. Mm-hmm. But when I actually watch them, or even when I watch like a power metal singer like Fabio Leone, you know, somebody doing similar to Bruce Dickinson, they're standing pretty in place. Like mm-hmm. uh, Randy will like walk up and down, but like uh, he's not jumping every song. He has like a one or two places. I'm sure everything you know. is like calculated. Exactly, they're being efficient. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Super intense, 
So it's a visual thing, and it feels good, too, to move like that as well when you're connecting with your own music. But I think Bruce, and I've, I've been saying this for years, I don't know if it's true. Uh, I bet he rehearses on a treadmill. Something. It ha- there, there is always... The one thing I've learned from being a vocalist and a teacher is it's never magic. It's never magic. No, no, it's work. There are people with inherent talent. There is. But uh, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. I think Bruce Dickinson had to be talented, but he has doubled down on that. Oh, he's yeah. also working very hard on top of that. And that's why he's the best. Because he's <laughs> doing both. He's not just riding on one or the other. And I agree with you. He's got to be doing something. I mean, especially as folks get older, you know, it's incredible. There's, you know, one of a kind people out there. He's definitely one of a kind. So you have a healthy lifestyle in general, but you're laid back. And I like that. That's typically my uh, philosophy as well, you know, Um, because I don't want people psychologically stressing about um, there are factual things, right? Yes. The air conditioning or in the fog machine, the venue might dry you out a little bit, blah, blah, blah. But nothing's more important. Someone's smoking cigarettes right in your face in the Czech Republic. Public, <laughs> yeah, or Las Vegas here, where it's okay, just like the true. last okay. last bastion. It, it was kind of weird moving here because that uh, uh, even in the United States you can't smoke inside anywhere anymore. Mm-hmm. But here in Las Vegas, it's like the smokers' capital. You know, you can do that right in your face, they, and then they don't get it. And it's, it's like... yeah, they can do that. I was at a Active Defiance show, Chris Broderick's band, and like this yes. guy was smoking and blowing the smoke like right yes. across his hands when he would solo. <laughs> And I was like, only Vegas. Oh my God. He's he's from two, he's he's from two mountains too, actually. Oh oh, he is really. Yeah, I've heard. I, I'm not. Wild. I'd have to confirm that, but uh, uh, there's yeah. been whispers of that. Definitely Canadian. I always see. I'm always a. I'm always stealing you guys in my head. I'm always thinking <laughs> uh, all the Canadians are Americans. I thought he was an American. So you know, but that's just because I think you guys are cool. So <laughs> I'm just trying to steal you all. I wanted to ask another vocal related question. So do you have any? So do you do any mechanical things? You know, like breathing in steam, or is this the the entirety of your routine? You that's don't do it. any. <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned doing podcasts and things, so you're not really going overboard with vocal rest either, although you did mention you are mindful. You're not trying to talk over the volume. No, no, and I try to sleep a lot. Like, I'll stay in my bunk until oh. I don't have to be in my bunk anymore. I won't get up and, like, hang with the dudes in the front lounge. I'll stay in my bunk. I'll watch movies. I'll rest. I'll, you know, cryptopsy, we're not wild party animals. We'll go back to after a show and have a few beers and laugh. Uh, I try not to laugh too, too much because that is also harmful, sadly. There's nothing mechanical going on. I, I really just focus on having fun and making sure that I can do it the next day. This is great. I like this a lot, though, because that's how I I have done the overthinking it thing, especially back when I was doing metal and classical at the same time. There's a brief period there, like at the end of college. And um, it actually made things a lot worse, you know, where I was like, I'm not going to have any caffeine and I'm not going to have any alcohol. Like, I'm just going to like be like perfectly everything. And it actually gave me a lot of psychological related tension dysphonia, which actually Mm. made me like like lose my voice on stage. So, you know, I think your philosophy of staying Zen, I love that mantra. It's all about the air. That's great. Because I hope that my vocal students and clients listening to this can maybe come up with something simple like that or maybe even borrow yours. It's so hard to think. It's just it's it's just you have to be right in the moment. Right. And that's something that I've really learned over the years, too, is I was so obsessed about being good that I wasn't enjoying the shows. Mm. You know what I mean? Especially now. It's been so long since I performed. The last time I performed was in July of 2019. I'm happy that that tour that I was on. I spent the time 
really like looking out at the crowd and taking it in and just feeling it. Because before it wouldn't have been that. It would have been like, I'm there, but I'm really in my head the whole time. Do you feel like your performance changed when you did that? Oh, yeah. I'm so much, so much happier and freer and I can jump into a crowd. Because when I joined Cryptopsy, the response of me joining the band was so negative. We had death threats and they really didn't like my first album, which is cool. And that's, I respect that. And I've spoken about this at length on other uh, interviews and podcasts. But uh, it took me a long time. I felt like an imposter. I felt like... I had to win them back. So I feel like, in my opinion, I am now a decent Cryptopsy vocalist. I can stand up with the other ones that have been there. And uh, we've done podcasts together. We've spoken about this. And uh, they agree as well. So, But it took me a long time to get there. So, so once I felt comfortable enough and enjoyed my extreme vocals that I was bringing to the band, then mm-hmm. I can have more fun on stage and really just let loose and uh, enjoy it. Because it, it, we're very lucky to do what we get to do. So to do yeah. it well and to have a smile on your face while you do it is, is number one now. I'm looking forward to performing again. <laughs> yeah, so there's a couple points in here that I was actually going to touch to begin with is um, it has to be tough to fill in. I can relate to this. There are two other vocalists before I joined the band that I'm in. And uh, same thing, like fans are either hating it or loving it. And, um, but I want, wanted to, I think like the death metal fans are really intense and obviously cryptopsy fans in particular too, it was always divided cryptopsy. There was the Lord worm camp and then the Mike DeSalvo camp. Mm -hmm. And the one thing that I definitely did when I joined the band was that I brought them together because they both hated me. So (laughs) it sort of just created like a, a unison there for once. But Cryptopsy was a band that never sat on their laurels, rested on their laurels. They could have just kept doing None So Vile. They didn't. Yeah. They decided to evolve. They decided to change. They decided to challenge themselves to be more extreme, more technical. And uh, it was really John and Flo pushing each other who could go crazier, who can be more technical, who can beat the other one. It was like a challenge going on. And, uh, you know, a lot of bands just put out the same album and have massive success. Cryptopsy didn't do that. You know, None So Vile is a cult album. People love it. When Whisper came out, not everyone liked it. But you have to keep your career going. You like, uh, like at the same time, to expect an artist to make the same thing twenty times is just so unrealistic. I don't really understand how people can. You know, fans get brutal, but I always want to ask the fans, like, I don't know. Well, what? I mean, people have to be creative. You know, they have to make. Let artists bloom, right? So, 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 Cryptopsy fans in particular and Death Metal fans are extremely difficult. So, Lord Worm finally came back. He left, and then here I was, this twenty-four-year-old kid that was singing clean and extreme metal back in two thousand and seven. Cryptopsy's always been avant-garde. Look at all of the most popular metal bands right now; they all have clean singing. Mm-hmm. I think it's super. Once again, Cryptopsy was ahead of its time. Yep. Albeit. It wasn't perfectly executed. It was a little bit all over the place, The Unspoken King. But, you know, like Shadow of Intent, <laughs> Cattle Decapitation, the list can yeah. go on and on. The Rivers of Nile. Extreme Metal has clean vocals in it now, and it's almost expected. Oh, yeah. I mean, even uh, Ginger, Once Human, like, I'm just thinking of, like, all the bands, Spirit Box. Like, I mean, yeah. they And they all have songs where they don't. But they they have song. Most of them, they'll put some kind of clean vocal in there. 
And I think also, too, it's just more interesting. It is very hard as a vocalist to sit there and just do one noise the whole time. (laughs) It feels a little limiting, you know, and you have these clean singing skills, you know, you've got to use them. Right. So I don't think I'll deal with Cryptops again. And if if we do, it will be something very strange. It won't be in the forefront. It will be more of a background thing. Uh, We are writing a new album now. I'm about to start my process of writing on it. The, The guys are just about finished with placing everything the way that it's going to stay. And I that's typically when I start working on the project. I have a concept. I know where I'm going to go with it. So it won't take me very long once I go. That's great. And then do you ever want an outlet for that clean singing? Would you do? Oh, definitely. I had a project uh, right after The Unspoken King called uh, The Era Of. Uh, mm-hmm. It's available, I think, on on everything, on iTunes and everything. It's the era of the album's name is Pelican Beach. It was a whole concept record where I actually wrote a book of so- short stories oh, that coincides with the songs. And I studied and I Googled uh, the average reading speed of humans. So basically, if you sit down and listen to the EP, the, the album, sorry, and read the book, it should start and finish at the same time. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I always go big. <laughs> so <laughs> now I am, I am not a prolific writer, but I did my best writing a book of short stories. And it was cool. It's like a, a Pelican Beach is a city and it gets hit by a tsunami. And it's the 12, 11 different stories of people in the city. So and that was clean singing all the way. Uh, progressive rock, not too progressive as in like Rush, but just uh, mm-hmm. like a carnival inspired a little bit. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But but not as cool. But <laughs> but I've been I've we had trouble finding a drummer after we released the album, sadly. And it never it's went always anywhere. hard to find drums. I don't know why. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know why the music was good. And I've just hung out with Pavlo uh, a few weeks ago at Danny Marino from the Agonist's birthday party. And uh, we're talking, we're talking about, and I like re-listened to everything because we had a whole second album that never did anything. So I, I definitely, definitely want to do some just clean vocal stuff. Yeah, you've got to show it off. It feels so good, yeah. Yeah, because I think too, again, as a vocalist, like you can do all these amazing harsh vocals, but at the same time, um, you've trained and you've practiced this other skill that was sort of sounds like your first skill, you know? I'm a singer. I'm still just a singer. <laughs> yeah. I miss it tremendously and i never really got to do much with it so do you sing clean for enjoyment like uh just like at home yeah because i work in a daycare right so oh cute i I have a little yamaha junior guitar that i have on me all the time and i'm constantly just singing nonsense all all day long (laughs) that's that's how i get through my day that's so cute that's adorable (laughs) that's so cute my sister teaches these children's guitars called the Lug. They're like Mm. scaled to kid size. I'm not sure if you've ever seen them, but some of them are three strings, but they're really nice. They're not cheap like the Walmart guitars, (laughs) which are just cheap full-size guitars. The Yamaha Junior feels great. I don't know. There's something about it. It plays great. It feels like a real guitar, despite it being so much smaller. But that's what I'm saying. There are some nice products like that for kids now. It's not just like the cheap Toys R Us guitar or whatever (laughs) anymore. Absolutely. And I've had it for 10 years, and I, I, I play it all the time. I'm not a guitarist by any means, but I have lots of fun. 
lots of fun playing guitar and singing at work. Would you ever do the uh, YouTube thing where you do some clean singing in that kind of uh, format, like covers and things? It would be fun. I would really like to do that. I've seen a lot of people get a lot of success doing stuff like that. I just had on uh, the singer of Carcosa. Johnny got Graham. <laughs> thank you. Yes, yes. Thank you. I just thought it was Instagram. I, I was so impressed name. that he started his. I was doing research for it, the interview, and I was like, but but he's doing everything. And but when was what? And what? Everything happened in 2020. I was I was blown away. He opened. He got Instagrammed on like the first day of 2020, and he's got 25,000 followers. Wow. From doing vocal covers, you know? So if there was an eighth day of the week, I would I would like to do stuff like that. But full-time job, <laughs> a band, two children, the podcast, it's, it's, it's heavy. So an eighth day of the week, I would maybe start doing vocal covers. <laughs> oh, I hear you because, uh, like, I can barely keep up. So I totally, completely, 100% hear you on that. The people who do... Yeah, I don't know how you do it, so... Well, uh, I'm not doing as well as you do. I look at guys like you. You, got, you. you have a really good, very consistent... You know, your content is great. So what you're doing with the podcast is excellent. It's very consistent. And in a lot of ways, like I said, I admire you because I, I'm not as consistent. This is part of why I'm pre-recording <laughs> a lot of podcasts. But I, I, did, I did the same. I, I launched when I had 10 episodes in my pocket already. And it's something that I've kept up over. And I think it probably has to do with our work ethic of being afraid of not having stuff. Yeah, it's it's a tough world. <laughs> it's better to, but in the era of content creation, that's a good thing. I'm, yeah. a, I'm, I'm a dirty, dirty content horror. I have so many interviews recorded. And they're going to come out when <laughs> I, I basically I schedule them. And then I have like a big grid of, of when they're going to come out and when I'm going to release them. And it's really just one by one. And that's how I release mm -hmm. them. And, and that's that's how I do it. It's it's I have my 300th episode coming up soon. Wow. How cool. Thank you. And that sort of like forced me to calm down because I couldn't squeeze in an episode because typically uh. I, would, I would like, oh, yeah, I'll do it. Well, I, I have a beer collab with a zealot RIP and DC Brow uh, from Washington that came out in a few weeks ago in September. I just couldn't get an episode in, out in time for it. It just didn't fit. So I was mm. like, We're so episode 301 is going to be <laughs> about that beer collab. So, so it, but it, it allowed me to, to slow down and I'm forcing mm -hmm. myself to slow down because it, it can become a lot. It really can. There's a lot of demands on, on musicians these days. Mm -hmm. There's this, all this potential there, but then there's all this pressure. Like, at least before, in the more analog times, uh, there wasn't as much pressure to create constant content and do all this stuff. It's it's really different now. And so it's cool. It's cool on one hand because you can take advantage of a lot of opportunities, you know, like um, the guy you're talking about before, Johnny. But also, at the same time, it's uh, it can be overwhelming. It can be super stressful. I did give you a shout out during that episode. Oh, really? I did. I did. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Well, I like. I actually follow him and um, Andrew, and uh, I uh, I love what they do. You've seen their like harsh vocal stuff, funny stuff that they do. The 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 TikTok things. Yeah. Yeah. The the 
when there's about to be a breakdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They do um, whatever. Like they say like nice compliments, but in exactly. harsh vocals and yeah. things like that. But they're or, really good. Like they are so really good. good. <laughs> they're ridiculous. And so I yeah. always share those because I think my followers like those. So that's cool. I, I, those guys are great. Um, well, well, as we're getting to the end here, I wanted to see, are there some things I'm, I'm trying because I teach people, a lot of people listening are learning. Some people are my vocal clients because they're already far along and they just need the advanced skills to maintain it. But a lot of the folks, at least half of the people listening are going to be wanting to learn about vocals and looking for advice and things. And I'm always asking the people that come on, like, are there any particular types of advice you would give uh, a new vocalist? You know, trying to get their footing in this yeah, world. Sure. You know, I think like the, the most, most important thing is to accept the sound of your voice. You can love a bunch of vocalists and you can try to sound like them, but if you don't do it in your own way and you don't develop your own personality in a voice, you won't be memorable. So you need to be comfortable being you. I think that's really, really important, especially what I lived through <laughs> filling in for Lord Worm and Mike DeSalvo, finding my own voice. Once I did that, I think that's probably when I started having the most fun. Yeah. That's great. I, I agree with that 100%. I think everybody hates the sound of their voice first. And we're, yeah, again, we're always comparing it to whether it be vocalists who preceded us. Because even if you do musical theater, it could be someone else who had that role or whatever, you know. If you don't get zen about it, you know, especially too with with, with vocal ranges. Yeah. Listen to my voice. <laughs> I got to get zen about that. I had to stop wishing to be a soprano a long time ago. You got to be you. You got to do it. Yeah. That's great. I love that. Thank you so much, Matt, for being on the podcast. This is going to be a great episode. It was really fun to have you on. I feel like I could talk to you forever. Uh, like Sebastian, we're just like vocal nerds. We could just <laughs> keep going forever. But then we'd be here forever. So there can always be a part two. Yes, let's do that. That would be wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Where can folks follow you and listen to your podcast and all that good stuff? Vox and Hops. Uh, I release at least one episode a week on all podcast platforms. You can find that uh, on all the podcast platforms. Uh, Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. Or you can go to my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. On socials, I'm at Vox and Hops, V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S. Uh, on Instagram as well as on Facebook. I don't understand TikTok just yet. <laughs> I'm I'm learning. I'm learning. I hear you. <laughs> but I, I have the philosophy of uh, a couple other social media guys that say, you know, you should really master a couple platforms and not all of them. And I think mm. you're doing real well with what okay, you've well, got going you. on. Thank you. Thank you. Lots of cool episodes coming up, 300th episode. I'm not sure when this is going to come out. It might already be out. Uh, I also have uh, a bunch of beer collabs that are coming out uh, for my three-year anniversary that's coming up. And uh, I am just, just, just getting the announcements ready to announce uh, Heavy Montreal presents Vox and Hobbs Brutal Montreal, a metal and beer festival here in Montreal that's happening in December. If everything's wow. going well with that, it's got Cryptopsy, The Agonist, um, The Great Sabatini, Necrotic Mutations, Sebastian Carato's band, and Burning the Oppressor. Uh, I got a bunch of amazing local craft beer breweries that are going to have their products there for sale. The first edition of something that I hope grows into something much bigger, uh, something that I've been wanting to do forever, and... Uh, 
I'm stoked about it. So that's that's probably the biggest thing going on right now. That is so cool. Well, I love everything that you're doing. I think that's great. I hope everybody takes inspiration from it, learning to make their own things happen in the scene. Now, look, you're having a metal and beer festival that did not exist before. Mm -hmm. So I think that's exactly the point and uh, the magic of the metal there. Thanks so much, Matt, for bringing so much metal magic <laughs> to the voice hacks <laughs> podcast today we really appreciate it thank you well thank you mary it was a true pleasure cheers to you cheers cheers that wraps up this episode of the voice hacks podcast thank you so much for listening and don't forget to subscribe rate and review the show 